Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome to another week of Play Hard, Work Hard, the Crude Life Morning Show. Today's a fantastic day. It's Martin Luther King Day, and we're going to start off with some words of encouragement from the good doctor himself. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination 100 years later. The Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. And a happy Monday to you folks. It is Martin Luther King Day. So many of you, I understand, have the day off, but not here at the crude life. The crude life, we don't get days off like the bankers and some of the other fat cats in Washington. Fat cats, yeah. Now we're talking on a Monday morning. Get right to the vitriol (laughs) talk. All right. We got a great show planned for you. Martin Luther King Day. We're gonna keep it somewhat light a little bit, although the Colorado talk here. Stemming from last week, uh, may get a little bit heavy because they got some new regulations that are coming into play. And Senator John Cook, State Senator John Cook out of Colorado, Weld County, is going to be our newsmaker interview today. By the way, folks, I should reset right now, welcome you to this program. This is the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Sterling is the co-host of the program, Good comes morning. to us via Arizona, via Saudi Arabia, via Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. Then North Dakota. North Dakota. And then to be determined. I think I'll stay here for a while. I like it up okay. here. So, Frackleberry Hound is over in the corner. He's our mascot. She it's is she. our mascot. She was a stray from a reclamation site that we took in here at the Crude Life. Frackleberry Hound has been a great 
mascot. She's very friendly, and she goes out and recycles water or recycles trash <laughs> out in the water. She's a retriever. Chesapeake Bay Retriever. We got a DNA test. We should probably we could do like a we whole video thing. Yeah, yeah that's we a great should. idea. All right, what do we got today? Let's see. What do we got today? We got a really good show. Martin Luther King Day. So we're going to talk about Martin Luther King next in our segment. Also, we got some news to get to a little bit later on. Kind of some real fun news as well as big important news happening in Shale Play USA. Also, we have Bitcoin. A little bit of Bitcoin news happening. And by the way, folks, our sponsor today is Great American Mining Company. Thank you, Great American Mining Company, for being our sponsor. You guys are awesome. Here at The Crude Life. And if you'd like to check out their website, gam.ai. Are you ready for that? That's how progressive they are. <laughs> gam.gam.ai. If you go there, but they, they actually have this really neat thing. So if you're a mineral owner and you've got natural gas that is flared or is on your property or whatever the case might be you can actually type in what your mcfd natural gas is and they'll tell you the value in bitcoin so you can already get an idea what you might make right there right so if you let's say your operators (laughs) or whoever is drilling uh on your property Mm -hmm. on your minerals uh, they've got a way that can really connect the communication to allow people to understand what the process is in Bitcoin, because that's that's the next wave, yeah. you know. And still, uh, pretty much black magic to a lot of people too. So we accept Bitcoin here at the Crude Life for sponsorship. So we're, we've gone down that path, and in fact, we're in the final stages of getting uh, a new segment called Buying Bitcoin set up to where we're going to like spend fifty bucks a week. Right. Buying Bitcoin. Nice. And we track it. We track our original investment, how much we've been putting in, and where we're at. So, you know, we'll see. We're going to get a slice of that fat money cake, man. And, you know, we'll do that as long as, you know, we have money. Yeah. Or the SEC shuts us down. (laughs) No, it seems like cryptocurrencies are really being taken seriously. But I don't think you can have fun with it, though, outside of Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Maybe we should make up our own. reservations. Yeah, our own cryptocurrency. That seems like a lot of work. Let's okay, just, let's yeah, just do yeah. it. Let's Bitcoin. keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. All right. So last week we talked about Colorado in the news. They have some new regulations. There's a new environmental group popped up, and in the news story we mentioned that uh, there wasn't anybody from the the industry that came up and uh, was kind of talking against it, but there is. And so we wanted to uh, correct ourselves, errors and omissions, if you will. But at the same time, uh, elaborate a little bit further, because I believe, I truly believe what is going on in Colorado is a template to be done in other states. Now, I've got some history here, folks. So you can certainly think I'm crazy, but you can go take a listen at my interviews over the past eight years And you will see that I've been tracking the progression of this Colorado issue to where specifically five years ago, I started saying on six years ago on the airwaves that there's a different vibe coming out of Fort Collins where people are looking over their shoulder before they mention that they work in oil and gas when I'd stay at the hotel breakfast bar. Right. And all of a sudden, and I thought I was crazy because I had never experienced a discrimination to that level against oil and gas. 
against tobacco. I, I saw sure. that. Why do you think Colorado has become such the focal point? Is it is it a mixture of the politics and the and the population? Is it? I mean, why Colorado? State Senator John Cook is our guest in the second hour of the program during our newsmaker segment, and he and I uh, spoke on several panels together over the years, where they have four or five of us up, you know, and mm-hmm. he's one guy and I'm one guy, and they got three other people on there. Sounds like a cage match, and it kind of turned turned into that. But he's always said it's a political mm-hmm. that there's the governor Jared Polis, right, who has written a book called the Colorado Blueprint. Blueprint. Yeah. So it's this is no like secret that he wants to end the fossil fuel industry, and apparently he has he's pretty rich, and he's got some he's got some other monies involved in mm-hmm. some political interests, and so everybody does it seems like. There, that what I started saying five years ago was I compared Colorado to the smoking ban, the way they got the smoking ban done through restaurants and public health and and X Y Z. When you start going into the world of public health, well, that's it. Yeah, you're done. Now, now it's a matter of public PR. So if yeah, you, you can be quickly become a pariah if you're against it, right? So take like secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. If you actually go take a look, I, I, I believe this is true, actually. I, I do believe this is true, that they've really never actually found concrete evidence that secondhand smoke does definitively cause cancer. What? I'm sure they have. They no, locked, I'm, I'm, I'm totally serious. I believe that, like... Didn't I read that they locked mice in a closed room filled with smoke for, like, six years, and then they okay, got cancer? Okay, maybe they did, but okay. for a long time, though, when they said it was done, they didn't. Right, and okay. And maybe they have since then, but there was enough evidence to go to the next step. That, but, that, that was just... Sure, There was yeah. more than enough evidence. Well, like or, you said, if it's a health crisis, boom, all of a sudden it's... Totally, but scripture. now, you know, that... You're starting to talk about, you know, consensus science, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so now it's more of a, well, we all agree with this theory, so let's just call that fact. And that's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. That's a slippery slope. And I understand that the smoking one is not the greatest example, but it's more of the template I'm talking about. Yeah, and I'm just giving you a hard time, no, too. I, I don't know. know if they did or not. But, but, but that's where the problem lies is because when you start comparing a template, mm-hmm. You, you can get caught up on so many different little trigger areas of debate. Right. You know, and we just experienced the most trigger-happy era of the modern society, you yeah. know, with the Trump-Biden election. You couldn't even tie your shoe without somebody saying, well, you do rabbit ears, you must vote for Biden. <laughs> right, it's a political statement. Us on the right do sloop, loop, a whoop. Yeah, we know? do the grandma nod over here, buddy. I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> well, you know, with the smoking thing, just real quick, it, it's interesting because when it started, it basically started as a ban on flights, right, in the U.S. Then it, then it carried over to, to public, like, federal buildings and state buildings and things like that. Then it was restaurants. Then it was you couldn't smoke 10 feet outside of a building. Then you couldn't smoke, you know, in the entire town. You know, now you go to places where it's a uh, baseball park. You're not allowed to smoke anywhere on the property. That was Frackleberry Hound you heard in the background. If you heard, like, rumbling. Uh, whenever we record, Frackleberry Hound decides that's when she's going to go get a Chewy Paws bone. Because Chewy Paws is... A friend of the program who uh, sells antlers. Uh, they're pipeline sniffing dogs and they find antlers out there in the middle of nowhere and then they turn around and sell them. But she always starts dropping them. 
And yeah, so she's chewing them around. She's trying to get our attention. She's totally she, silent 10 minutes before we go on air. She's such a diva. Yeah, she is. I love her. Yeah. Such a diva. I just love her so much because she just knows how to push the buttons at the right time and look at you in the right way to wrap you around their, yeah. your finger. Yeah. And You're putty in her paws, man. Well, I pick up after her. I mm-hmm. feed her. Mm-hmm. I take her out 17 times a day. Yeah, she's, she's got you pretty well she's trained. it out. Yeah, uh, she does. Okay, so getting back to the Colorado, I really do believe that what happened in New York, what happened in California, were kind of testing grounds mm-hmm. for extreme uh, regulation. Yeah. And Colorado's like, okay, this is where we're going to kind of perfect it. To where they even have... Uh, this oil and gas commission that they started to regulate the oil and gas industry. Well, a month ago or right around uh, Black Friday time, they accidentally sent out an email, okay, that they weren't supposed to send out, but they were testing a new email service, right? Oh, oops. And this is no kidding. Okay, this is an appointed agency with government money from taxpayers mm-hmm. where... What went out was this list of uh, fake names. Like, you know how Garbage Pail Kids? Yeah. What was some great Garbage Pail Kid uh, Trisha names? Squisha. Trisha Squisha. Yeah. Okay. You know, what things I, like that. Yeah. Um, Adam Bomb. You know, Aid Adam. So what this Colorado Oil and Gas Commission did is they had like snake oil sales. Uh, or snake oil. 666. Right. Uh, what's the uh, Lorax? How does somebody not have that name already? But how does a government agency call themselves nonpartisan and do that? Right. I mean, how do, you, how do you justify spending taxpayer dollars to sit in front of a keyboard and, and, and quite honestly, F around? Well, and it probably, you know, the You're sad- just messing around. Yeah, and, you know, that probably wasn't like a consensus where the entire uh, organization was like, let's send out that kind of snarky email. It's no, one person on the end no, doing but it. it. It represents a culture. Yeah, it, it does. It represents a culture. And clearly not a good editing, you know, no supervision. Well, but- are there any are there are are there any repercussions that have been done? I mean, I'm sorry, but if you have a governing body that is calling oil and gas companies the devil and snake oil and all these different names, what's the message you're sending? Yeah. What's the message you're sending? Government and uh, oil and gas have always seemed to have sort of an abusive relationship. Do you know? Oh, I think it's they need each other, they hate each other, time. they need each other, they hate each other. So, in Colorado's interesting, folks, and uh, last Friday, you know, new regulations went into play again. So I didn't, I didn't hear much about it anywhere from, uh, you know, leadership coming out of Colorado. Mm-hmm. So what was in the story that well, you have with this new environmental group? Uh, first of all, what's the headline? So the headline is an environmental group, they're known as 350 Colorado, claims that 70% of Colorado's greenhouse gas and emissions come from oil and gas. Okay. Obviously, that's in dispute. Um, What we didn't come across last time was uh, the statement put out from the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, the trade group, uh, and that was President Dan Haley. And he said, as a national... Go ahead. As a national environmental group, 350 has made it clear it wants to ban all fossil fuels with no recognition of the safety and financial impacts that that would have on Coloradans and all Americans. He called it a dupe to, uh, or a ploy to dupe regulators into banning energy production in Colorado. What it comes down to, really, if you read the whole article, is they're looking at different emissions targets. And Colorado apparently uses a 100-year sort of test as that. And the 350 group is arguing that you can't use that 100-year test uh, as effectively anymore. But, uh, you know, when and it comes... to was his quote, huh? 
Yeah, that was his quote. And, you know, that's what we've been seeing from oil and gas is it's just sort of like a check the box. Oh, no, that's a statement. Yeah, it's just a statement. Was it, was it, he, it was a statement. It was it a statement a, from okay, the group. So yep. he just, yeah, it was in a statement. But, you know, it goes back to what you were okay, saying. No, no, this is I want to I point something out here. This is something where you don't make a statement. This is something where you get pro- proactive and you make a quote. Okay. Uh, a statement is you just send it and you move on. Mm-hmm. It's that, just checking a box. Right. This is, this is a problem in Colorado. This is a great example of somebody who's in leadership who's been on the program. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, he's, he's more than welcome and he's been on, I've sat on a panel with him too. So, but you, you don't make a statement, you get control of the article and the reporter and the narrative as best you can. Yeah. Um, what else is going on out there? Well, I'm you, serious. I mean, everybody's in a pandemic, so they're working from home. It's not like people are going to industry events like crazy, so people have time. This, yeah. is, this is really irritating to me because Colorado is getting their ass kicked by these, envir- these climate uh, activists to a degree that uh, they're just, I mean, making statements? No, get, well, call yeah. the reporter. Get yeah. on, get, what, who else is quoted in this? Sorry, man. I'm really, getting, nobody. I, I'm getting I mean, irritated. really, you know, they, they talk about... No, there was an a, uh, AIP guy. Yeah, Mike Pauls, Associate yeah. Director for API, yeah, Colorado. API. Yeah. Who did I say? AIP. AIP, yeah. I'm sticking about Shell <laughs> well, Company. There's, there's a lot of acronyms in here, man. AIG, yep. great yep. shell company. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what, but, what, what's his quote? Well, they're working basically, he's talking here about... Uh, the difference in how they're doing measurements of these emissions and methane measurements. And, uh, you know, basically he's just, he's been pleading with the CDPHE, not exactly sure what that one stands for, to do more flyover measurements or satellite measurements. He's, he's arguing that they need better data before they start putting in stricter regulation. Yeah. Science. Yeah, science. They're trying to... Um, talk facts with people who don't want facts everybody each side seems to use just enough science to advance one step and then the other side has to counter it i mean it's just that's what this this article is talking about is the ongoing battle between these groups and the different associations and trade groups in colorado is is it's almost like a a running car battle you know it's like mad max out there yeah i i think that the climate activists are really uh ahead of the game I mean, I've never even heard of this new group here. This new group. What's what's their name again? 350 Colorado. Never heard of them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now they're getting big stories in major newspapers. Well, and, and they other, get and, good marketing groups. They get, you know, we've fine. talked about this before with nonprofits and whatnot. Wh- whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've never, all of a sudden I've never heard of them. They jump out of nowhere. Yeah. Where, where's the other side? Where, where's, where's the other groups from the oil and gas side? Uh, getting this story saying, hey, we're, we're putting together the workers that are saying we're middle-class people. We're mm-hmm. hard-working small businesses. You know, we're not these big, evil 666 oil companies and snake oil salesmen and this and that. We're, we're the people that go to church with you. We're the people that, you know what I mean? We're, we're, yeah, we're, well, that that's, beca- you know, because people look at oil and gas and they see this, like, monolithic evil and not thinking for one second about the people that are involved in it downstream ev- from everybody. I mean, from, you know, from the people we talk to, the, they, they rent generators to the people that are working on the rigs. So, yeah, I mean, what the 350 is a we reference to. We have without industry, <laughs> right? Well, hey, we man, you're preaching to the choir here. What was that great '70s movie that made Coors so popular? Was it Every Which Way But Loose? Every Which or? Way But Loose, I think, with Clint Eastwood. What was the Burt Reynolds one? Stroker's Ace, maybe. 
You think it's Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah, there's some movie. Smokey and the Bandit. I think the first one because that's what they do. They, uh, I think they take Coors. Okay, I yeah. was some movie. Yeah. Remember Coors? Yeah, you couldn't get it east of that's the Mississippi. right. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Is they raced it to like New York or something? Yeah, like that. you couldn't yeah. get it like east of the Mississippi yeah. or even east of the Missouri. Man, in the seventies were a weird right? time. It's distribution yeah. laws, man. Yeah. It's alcohol. Yeah. It's, it's tobacco, firearms. But you think about you talk to somebody today and, and explain that back then you couldn't get it east of the Mississippi, and that'll just blow their mind. They'll think they were living in communist China then. Well, and then you see it on the big screen. You're like, Burt Reynolds has got a Coors. Right. I want a Coors. Dude, anything Bert had, I wanted. I always then. preferred the Coors over Coors Light. By the way, you didn't like the Silver Bullet, huh? I, well, it was fine. I just preferred the Coors uh, regular, yeah, more like, of a manly drink, yeah, more of a hoppy taste to it. Yeah, we had an awesome tour. Did you go to Golden? Golden. Yeah, I've gone there a couple times. And it's a we, great. Did you take we, the quick tour, we, the college tour? We did the tour, and we went to the bar afterwards. Yeah. Okay, and you could have three drinks. They at still the time. give you a couple of free they drinks. Three yep. drinks you could have at the time. Well, we were there, and then they did a cruise shift. So we got six drinks. <laughs> nice. We did not understand the elevation at the time because the brewery was the first place we went when we got to Colorado. All right. Yeah, we had to hang out in town. We had yeah. to get a room that night. Hey, you know, it was, uh, Golden's very beautiful. We were very loopy <laughs> up in the Rocky Mountain High for sure. And, My sister and, used to live right down the street from them in Golden. And so, oh. when, yeah, when we would go visit... Uh, my dad and I would go over and take what was called the college tour, which is you just went straight to the bar and you got your free drinks. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, that's why well we once win. you've done the tour, I mean, it's a cool tour for sure, but you know, we, we ended up meeting some guys from St. Louis mm-hmm. in the uh, bar that were just same thing. Just got off the bus yep. around the same age. We were, we were in our early twenties and the same thing. So we sat with them for the six drinks nice. and everything <laughs> like that, made new friends. Uh, and that's what it was all about, oh, man, man. It's like going to the Duff Brewery, you know? So you've got connections to Colorado. Yeah. Okay. You were born or raised in Arizona, Arizona. as a child until yeah. you moved to Saudi Arabia yeah. as a child. Yeah. And you moved in what year to Saudi Arabia? Uh, 82. Okay. And your Arizona upbringing, you never had a Martin Luther King Day. No, I don't think they actually recognized it until the early 90s. Oh, I didn't even know they did. No, I'm pretty... I think okay. they finally kind of had to. Yeah, but <laughs> they still haven't recognized Daylight Savings. They recognized <laughs> Randy Johnson, the big unit, before they recognized Martin Luther King, right? <laughs> Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. Right. Well, they won a World Series. They did win a World Series. All right, so Saudi Arabia, did you guys recognize Martin Luther King? You know, I, in school, you know, it was very westernized school, but we didn't, we didn't really have those types of holidays. You know, that none of that stuff. We might have talked about it in class, but it wouldn't have been a recognized holiday. Okay. How about like Columbus Day? No. Okay. No, there All wasn't right. even technically a Christmas because it's not celebrated or recognized well, over there. you don't there. want to get bombed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be funny either. I'm just saying, I'm trying no, to be no, real. No, you know, it was, uh, I forget exactly what it was. The company called it like holiday service time or something, and it was a week off around Christmas. Could you imagine a Christmas tree in the middle of Saudi Arabia? Probably we, wouldn't go very well. Well, no, we had a... Uh, artificial one that had been somebody else's for 20 years and then we had it for 20 years and okay yeah. all, right. all right we'll get to that another time but uh we got martin luther king facts coming up in our next segment folks and i just wanted to find out if you know sterling ever even has celebrated one before <laughs> because arizona as a child and then saudi arabia as a adolescence teenager yep. And then uh, back to you know, Minnesota. They're pretty progressive. Well, when I came back to the States to go to high school, I was like, wow, there's a lot of different holidays during the year. <laughs> what's, what's this holiday? I've never even heard of yeah, this What is holiday. this Labor Day you speak of? 
Fourth of July. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> okay. All right, folks. That's going to do it for this segment here. We're going to be back in just a moment or two with some Martin Luther King facts. And then we've got news, emails, and newspeak coming up in just a moment after that. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. Frackleberry Hound is finally taking a little bit of a break. We'll be back in just a moment or two here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Because I got weird ways that come and go and they stay. I got weird ways that come and go and they stay. It's a brand new day. I got something to say. I got weird ways that come and go and they stay. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard is sponsored in part by if you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them swan energy wants to talk to you today give them a call at 866-539-0860 that's 866-539-0860 swan energy is buying up natural gas leases and they may buy yours too give them a call today play hard work hard Show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. It's Hello. Play Hard, Work Hard. We're still in hour number one. It's Martin Luther King. Well, it's actually the celebration observation of Martin Luther King Day because January 15th marks what would have been the 91st birthday of Martin Luther King, the Atlanta native who's become probably the most important figure in civil rights movement, I would say. I mean, absolutely. More than Rosa Parks or yeah. anyone else I can't think of. Harriet Tubman. Really is like a focal point of civil rights. Yeah, absolutely. So what we thought we'd do is just do some facts that maybe you do, maybe you don't know. I'm not sure. You know, a lot of people have the day off today. But if you're a small business, no days off for you. We're working today. All right. Number one, Martin Luther King was not his given name. That's I right. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, Martin Luther King... Was not his given name. Was it Michael? All right, let's see. One of the most recognizable proper names of the 20th century wasn't actually what is on his birth certificate. The future civil rights leader was born Michael King Jr. on January 15, 1929, named after his father, Michael King. And it wasn't until he was five years old his father decided to change their names after learning more about... 16th century theologian Martin Luther. And Martin Luther went on to do the Protestant movement. I believe so, yeah. I think he was even the uh, Lutherans. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, I believe of my biblical theology memory serves me correctly. He was that radical that went and nailed some stuff on the door of the church. Got a bunch of hippie followers. (laughs) Said, no, we don't want to kneel. Nope. All right. That's a Lutheran joke. You know, no. ca- we call them lazy Catholics. <laughs> they don't kneel. All right. All right. It's one of those Catholic things. A little too much blasphemy for a Monday morning, folks. <laughs> Martin Luther King was a doctor of theology. Using the prefix doctor 
to refer to king has become a reflex, but not everybody understands and is aware of King's PhD. He attended Boston University, graduated in 1955 with a doctorate in systematic theology. Also had a Bachelor of Arts of Sociology from Morehouse College and a Bachelor of Divinity from Crozer Theology Seminary. Martin Luther King made 30 trips to jail. 30 trips. (laughs) Arrested 30 times. That's important to probably process for a second because... One of the one of the most revered individuals for civil rights was arrested thirty times. It took thirty oppressions, like of arrest, yep. for him to even have his voice heard. And prob and his voice was never even heard till after he died. Really, I mean, because his voice got louder after he died. So in some cases, too, you know, the, uh, some of the imprisonments were, you know, he was speeding. He was five miles over the limit, that type of stuff. And really, basically, they're just looking for any reason to throw him in jail. It's a, and that's the whole idea, though, is that the system knocks you down, knocks you down, knocks you down. Because what, what's the joke? You can, there, there's 40 different ways you're breaking the law the minute you leave your house. Right. And <laughs> if not, they'll, they'll break your taillight. Taillight, Like yep. in Porky's <laughs> in The Simpsons, Chief Wiggum. Uh, the FBI tried to coerce Martin Luther King into suicide. I did not know that. No, I didn't either. Martin Luther King's increasingly prominence and influence agitated many of his enemies, but few were more powerful than FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. For years, Hoover kept King under surveillance, worried about his sub could sway public opinion against the Bureau and fretting that King could have communist ties. Well, there's still debate about how independently... Hoover's deputy, William Sullivan, was acting. An anonymous letter was sent to King in 1964 accusing him of extramarital affairs and threatening to disclose his indiscretions. The only solution the letter suggested would be for King to exit the civil rights movement either willingly or by taking his own life. They tried to blackmail him into suicide. Right, into suicide. That is crazy. I didn't know that. That's pretty craven, man. King ignored the threat and continued his work in Unreal. He's the only other American to have his birthday observed as a national holiday other than our first president, George Washington. I thought they took Abraham Lincoln's and Washington's and lumped them together in the President's, President's Day. Day. I think there was a sort of a compromise there. Right. Yep. So I, and, but it and, wasn't until 83. Uh, Reagan was the one that signed it in and, and made it a national observed holiday. Pretty cool. For Martin Luther King? Mm-hmm. Or for Washington? No, it was in 1983. President Ronald Reagan signed a bill that created a federal holiday to honor Martin Luther King. It was first okay. commemorated in 1986. That noise you're hearing is Frackleberry Hound. Trying to get our attention here. Dropping the Chewy Paws antlers, which she's so fond of. And she just absolutely loves to wait till we hit record before she does it. She, she literally gets up off of her love sack, comes over, grabs a Chewy Paw, and just starts dropping it on the floor. And we have to put a I think she just wants a microphone, too. Number five, a single sneeze could have altered history forever. Our collective memory of King always has an unfortunate addendum. His 1968 assassination that brought an end to his personal crusade against social injustice. But if Isola Ware Curry had her way, 
King's mission would have ended 10 years earlier. At a Harlem book signing in 1958, Ware approached King and plunged a seven-inch letter opener into his chest, nearly puncturing his aorta. Surgery was needed to remove it. Had King so much as sneezed, doctors said it would have been close to his heart and that would have been fatal. I had no idea that happened. I I didn't know that either. Number six. Oh, this one's fantastic. All right, folks. this, This should be one of those memes that you see in social media when people like to act like they say something through someone else's words. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, it's... Okay, Martin Luther King got a C in public speaking. Ha! He got a C in public speaking. That's like the coach who cuts Michael Jordan, right? right? Yeah. I mean, you got to say to that public speech teacher, like... How do you feel about that now? Yeah. You gave him a C, huh? I'd like to know what he get, what he marked him down for. Kings, okay, he got a C and a C plus in his two terms. That's still passing, man. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you know, above average and the C plus, I guess. Yeah, it got me through most of school. Martin Luther King won a Grammy in 1971. A recording of King's 1967 address, "Why I Oppose the War in Vietnam," took home a posthumous award for best spoken word recording. In 2012, his 1963 I Have a Dream was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. I didn't know that either. Martin Luther King loves Star Trek. Big fan of Star Trek. There's some three paragraphs I'm not going to read behind that. (laughs) Number nine, Martin Luther King spent his wedding night in a funeral parlor. That is an interesting honeymoon, man. Wow. When King married wife Coretta Scott... In her father's backyard in 1953, there was virtually no hotel in Marion, Alabama that would welcome a newlywed black couple. A friend of Coretta's happened to be an undertaker and invited the Kings to stay at one of the guests' room at his funeral parlor. See, that's the thing that I don't... I I, I just... It's really hard for people to understand what it was like growing up in a society like that. Yeah, it's hard. I'll never understand. I was born white. Well, you never had that kind of experience. Never had anything like that before. Ronald Reagan was opposed to a Martin Luther King holiday. Mm -hmm. Boy, look at you foreshadowing that, huh? (laughs) Despite King's undeniable worthiness, MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day, was not a foregone conclusion. In the early 1980s, President Ronald Reagan largely ignored pleas to pass legislation making the holiday official. But out of concern, it would open, I'm sorry, out of concern, it would open the door for other minority groups to demand their own holiday. Senator Jesse Helms, I haven't heard that name in a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's been Just bit. poured into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Senator Jesse Helms complained that the misled workday could cost the country $12 billion in lost productivity and were, ber- and were concerned about King's possible communist sympathies. Was he a communist? It probably depends on who you ask. I've never heard that. Like, I, I mean, I, I kind of recall, I guess, when I'm reading this, but I never even knew I that. Think, I think there was definitely groups and individuals who were trying to paint him as such. Well, that I knew, yeah. but I, I didn't really think that anybody thought that was serious. But yeah. I, I wasn't really living then. Yeah, and the way we use the word now, I mean, anybody you disagree with is a communist. 
Well, common sense prevailed, and the bill was signed into law on November 2nd, 1983. The holiday became official and became, began being recognized in 1983. We could see Martin Luther King on the $5 bill at some point. In 2016, the U.S. Treasury announced plans to overhaul major denominations of a currency beginning in 2020. Hey, that's this year along with Harriet Tubman adorning the $20 bill. Is this still happening? No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe it will with the Biden administration, but... Are we really going to have Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill? It was something that was in the works, I think, at the end of the last administration. Plan called for the reverse side of the $5 Lincoln stamp bill to commemorate historic events that occurred at the Lincoln Memorial, including King's famous 1963 speech. In April 2018, Trump administration announced that those plans were on hold and the bills would be delayed by at least six years. Okay, Mm -hmm. I was going to say, are you kidding me? Like, I I think that would have been news by now that Harriet Tubman was going to be on the $20 bill. It flashed out there for a couple minutes. People opposed, people, you know, for, and then it kind of disappeared. People opposed it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Well, I suppose this isn't a stamp here. It's not like we're putting Elvis on a stamp. It's a, you know, well, right, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, to some some degree, I, I can kind of get the maybe somebody that might be opposed to it purely from a purist point of view. We've always had these certain types of people on the the money, but yeah, I mean, but doesn't make any sense. We've never understood what the criteria is, though. Exactly, and we should be able to decide who because is it, on it's the money. not all past presidents. No, it's not. Benjamin Franklin was never a president. Never a president, that's right. But he was a founding father. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, be- I believe there's another one who's not a president, and I don't even know if they were a founding father, actually. Grant? Grant no, he, was a president. He was, a, yeah. was Hamilton? Hamilton was never president. He was in the 20, right? He's on the 20, Hamilton? God, now I feel stupid. I'm going to have to actually... When's the last time you carried cash in your pocket, though? Oh, really? Where, where, do you, where, where do you keep it? Let me grab a 20. All right. On the $20 bill, there is a Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Is Hamilton on the dime? Is that where I got that from? But we'll have to, you know what? <laughs> you know, we do have the internet. Let's, let's just do it. No, <laughs> in the future, let's do a segment of how Why? the heck yeah. we got faces on things. Mm-hmm. We know how we got Mount Rushmore. Right. Okay. Because they needed a place to hide the secret UFOs and the secret ships that come out of the noses of the president. Clearly. Right? Yeah. We've, we've all seen that cartoon. Yeah. Okay. And that's our documentary, I mean. <laughs> the documentary. A historical document. Where, yeah. where uh, Mike Meyer, what's his name? Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil comes out of the nose of uh, George Washington. <laughs> no, I just made that up. Anywho, so... Look at that, folks. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidebar there for a second, but that threw me off about Harriet Tubman. So we're going to get a whole overhaul, it sounds like, by Mm -hmm. either 2022 or 2026, depending on when that six years was, because in 2016, they were going to start it, and 2020, they were supposed to finish it, but Trump kicked it down in 2018 for six years. So does that mean 2016 or 2024? Probably 2024. That'd be my guess, yep. too. So either way, that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm loving it. Harriet Tubman on a bill? Totally. That'd be awesome. We will, we'll have to do a segment on other people that maybe should be on bills. Mm-hmm. 
Because see, this is what they didn't want to do. Jimi Hendrix. That would be fantastic. Bob Marley. Right. Jimi Hendrix. You know, the way Cash Cash is going to become kind of like collectible because we're going totally digital. So why not customize it? We're talking stamps. Dude. That's what I mean. Yeah, Cash becomes stamps. It becomes collectible. I mean, we've taken the stamps and turned it into NASCAR. So why not take the stamps and turn it into the U.S. currency? Well, look at this. We've got a $50 bill with Tide on it. Look at this. we got a Microsoft buck here. I mean, that's where we're we're almost there. Yeah, it almost makes too much sense. All right. Oh, what else do we got? We should probably do the last one here. Okay. Number 12. One of Martin Luther King's volunteers walked away with a piece of history. That's what it's called. All right, 1963's oration from the steps of the Link Memorial known as I Have a Dream speech will always be remembered as one of the most provocative public addresses ever. George Rathleen, who was a 26-year-old at the time, had volunteered to help King and his team during the event. When it was over, Rathleen sheepishly asked King for a copy of the three-page speech. King handed it over without hesitation. Raveling kept it for the next 20 years before he understood the historical significance and removed it from the book he had been storing it in. He's turned down offers from as much as 3.5 million, insisting that the document will remain in his family, always noting that the uh, most famous passage where King details his dream of a United Nation isn't on the sheets. It was improvised. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Totally that, on the fly. That's yeah. what they say. And that's honestly some of my best stuff too, is that you you do from the hip off mm-hmm. the cuff. It's not on the, the sheet. It's organic. It's authentic. Yeah. You know, and, and when you're in the moment, it's like the great prophet Vince McMahon. <laughs> WWE says. Blessed is his name. If it happens on live TV, it was meant to happen that way. Move on. Right. <laughs> there, ain't any, there ain't any reason to get caught up. Yeah. Because if you don't get caught up, no one else is going to get caught up. And that's how we move on to the next whatever. That's what Janice, uh, Janet Joplin and, uh, I'm sorry, Janice Janet Joplin? Jackin, Jackson, Janet Jackson. Big difference. And Justin Timberlake did with Nipplegate. Mm-hmm. They just kept moving on. Right? Yeah. Pretty much shellacked her career for a couple of years, though. I would be curious what the sale of pasties did after that, right? That's the, that's the name of the things that go over your... Yeah, it is. And and you know what? If you look back at that event, if you watch that on YouTube, it's like quaint in comparison to all the stuff that we deal with on a daily day it was, basis. It now, was nothing, even, even for the time. Yeah, it was manufactured outrage. It was the presentation because mm-hmm. it was the Super Bowl. Well, I remember watching it live and thinking that it looked somewhat intentional. It like was it was right, but that was not what the art. You know, that's not what they said. That it wasn't intentional. That's marketing and spin, dude. right? Right. That's, you know. Yeah. Okay, that's what we have for Martin Luther. Did you have a couple that you wanted? No, to, you to pretty much home? covered all of okay. them. I was just looking up some information, like you were. So you really never were exposed to Martin Luther King very much as a kid. Did you get much of it in history class while you were going to school in Saudi Arabia, living on an American compound? with an oil and gas company running the American compound. Yeah, when I lived in Dahran, uh, you know. Which my... is the shorter version. What right. <laughs> Most people have no idea what Dahran no, is. No, yeah, but, so. But they, they know, they've heard of it. Right. But they don't know what it is. They think it's like Dubai, probably. 
No, you know, basically like an Americanized compound, almost like a military style type base, small town, uh, very Western schooling. But we did get more of like an international flavor maybe than you would have in eighth, ninth grade. It's like the Mecca of man camps. <laughs> I mean, it is. But yeah, it's, we it's learned like, about Martin Luther King. We, we just, over there, there was no recognition nationally of that holiday. It's a different country. So you, you didn't, know? but your Americanized, colonized no, school didn't have We didn't celebrate off. it as a day off. Okay, no. uh-huh. okay. Which they did in Arizona either, to be fair. I don't think until the nineties. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, but you yeah. didn't go to elementary school no, in the nineties. Uh-uh. You were you were uh, I was, graduating I was, high yeah, school in the nineties. Gradu- yeah. Yeah. So okay, so you were that's interesting, you know, that you didn't really have a lot of that growing up. Yeah, like I said, when I came back to the States for high school, I was just kind of shocked at all the different holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like you know, you you're aware of them living overseas of the big ones, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas, New Year's, that kind of stuff. But all these other ones, no. Well, all right, that's going to do it for this segment of the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Little Martin Luther King facts for you. It's kind of light today because it's Martin Luther King Day. A lot of people are taking the day off, but not us here at the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Coming up next, news, rumors, and newspeak. One of the most popular segments here. Oh, by the way, we should probably, in fact, we'll do that when we come back. Uh, we do have some swag, which we got to take a picture of and put on the, the, the social media sites. Okay? Awesome. What do we got? And it's over there in the box. Ooh. And then we also, we have to mention our sponsor and our newsmaker interview. So, by the way, our sponsor today, Great American Mining Company, they specialize in Bitcoin, but also they capture natural gas and convert it into Bitcoin. So they're part of the emission uh, management solution. They're part of the flaring solution. Flaring. It's like I'm French here. Part of the flaring <laughs> solution. Our phone line sponsor, Swan Energy, will be having our newsmaker interview with State Senator John Cook out of Colorado. There's new regulations as of January 15th, which, incidentally, Martin Luther King's birthday. But John Cook is going to talk about the new regulations in Colorado, some of the public relations issues that they're having. And then also... What else do we have? What was the other sponsor that we had? Oh, what do we got here? What, what are you pointing at here? No, that's no, they're, they're passed. Okay. Oh, okay. A swag shout out, newsmaker interview. We got all the checklists done for that. Moody River Band. There we go. Thank you. That's what you're pointing at. The Moody River Band. Yes, the Moody River Band is the house band. It's who you're hearing right now. And if you have a band in your local area that you would like to have featured here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. You know, maybe they play at one of your nonprofit industry event fundraiser type things and you want to help promote them. Let us know. Studio at thecrudelife.com. Studio at thecrudelife.com. We'll accept your emails and your thoughts, your comments, everything else like that. Sterling found out we get trolled too, so we're going to talk about that probably tomorrow here on the Crude Life Morning Show. But up next, news, rumors, and newspeak. My name is Jason. That is Sterling. Frackleberry Hound is taking a nap finally here on the morning show. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard.
is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Speece. That is Sterling. We're going to get into news, rumors, and news speak in just a second, but now it's time for our social media scream and shout. Scream and shout. Shout it out. Because we are, you know, we, we want to do more than just the shout out. A lot of people do shout outs. We want to do the scream and shout out. So today we want to thank Bailey Midkiff, Jake Milne over at WIC out of Wyoming. Frackleberry Hound, get down. She's up on the counter. She wants that tote bag, man. Let's take a look at this tote bag. Boy, she's up. Yeah, she is. Let's get a picture with her. <laughs> So what do we get today? We got a mouse pad and a tote bag. WIC, insulation specialist, safety. Take a look. Oh, boy, that's a really big tote bag. Man, I could fit a cantaloupe or two in there. Watermelon, oh, nice. maybe. Nice, durable, too. Thank you very much. Frackleberry Hound Mid- loves it. In fact, we're going to have to start giving some of these away on the air. That's what we should do. Give them away very quickly. Frackleberry Hound. Can we not give this one away, though? This no, is really you cool. Can, have can we keep this one? one? Give it to your wife, your Starbucks wife. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Mouse pad. Triple W W I C W Y O dot com. William Insulation Company, Wyoming is what it stands for. Also, hashtag W I C W I O. Wick Y O. Wick Y O. Nice and easy to remember. Wick Y O. So, thank you, Bailey Midkip. Jake Milney out at W I C. Now, also, our sponsor today, American Mining Company, great American mining company, specializing in mission management, Bitcoin. So if you have minerals, you can certainly go to their website and check out. we got the links at our website. Uh, they've got a converter. You can check out your natural gas and what it would make in Bitcoin. So it's pretty cool. It's calculator. It does that whole thing. I hear... Frackleberry is trying to yeah. Is that Frackleberry Hound into the plastic I hear? Pull it out. Yeah, yep, I got she, it. She can't be chewing on plastic. She, I, she likes to go recycle. <laughs> She's trained, actually, to go get plastic and trash cans and all kinds of different stuff. She was I, definitely reducing this. We, we have a great video of her in Austin, Texas, in the river, going out and getting a paper plate that somebody left behind or some, some garbage. So uh, we can't fault her for it, but we just got to make sure we... Keep an eye. Oh, look at her. She's so cute. All right. We got to get to the news, rumors, and news speak. Frackleberry Hound, coming over here. 
All right, let's start off with a little bit of news. This is from Reuters. Uh, investors storm into alternate energy funds ahead of a Biden presidency. So investors are rushing to invest in alternate energy funds this year on hopes of more green reforms with President-elect Joe Biden set to take office next week. According to Lipa data, alternate energy funds that primarily invest in solar, wind, and water firms around the world saw an inflow of $4 billion in the week ending January 13th. They've lured a whopping $5.2 billion in just the first two weeks of 2021. There's no doubt investors are going into renewables because that's where the government is directing the market. That's where the money will start flowing. Right. So another example of the government controlling the market, so not allowing the free market to work. And if investors are going that way, it's for a couple. Is it say anything about the ESG movement in the story in terms of the environmental uh, social governance angle when it comes to investors? Because that is a real problem. Well, one thing it does mention is that traditional energy funds, which invest in those companies or, and deal with fossil fuels, have seen an outflow of over $113 million just in the last week, their sixth consecutive over outflow. Right, because they're getting this social pressure. Mm -hmm. And this is, to me, this is another example of what the crude life is really trying to explain to the people in the industry. So if you're in industry leadership, it is my opinion that you're fighting the wrong battle. Okay, you're going at like this, the the regulation side of things, but it's, it's, it's a social regulation that, that is the issue. It's not a government regulation. The social regulation, the social shaming, Mm -hmm. the social framing, the social narrative. Okay, that's a social regulation, if you will. That's what's controlling the government regulation. More, more than actual money is. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of social pressure. I think that that, that's becoming more of an effective uh, lever, you know, than money right now. Well, when when in when you think about they're using teachers pension plans in government 401ks, in order to serpent and usurp and go after the oil and gas industry that's what i'm saying they're using social shaming pressures which is a social regulation okay it's manufactured consent if you will whatever you want to call it right. that that's how they're that to me that's what that says more than anything and when you're directing the amount of money towards two industries that the body of work is done they've been getting subsidies since the 80s and they have not hit any of their milestones that they've put out, wind and solar. The wind industry is not even close to what they said they would be. The solar industry, what what has what solar given us? Um, a decent cell phone charger when we go camping? Well, they don't have solar panels on, on houses, yet they're affordable. Rovers on Mars? They don't have um, shingles made out of solar panels that are now being you know put on homes yeah this type of stuff was introduced to me when i was a kid that that was going to be what homes were made out of when i you know what i mean yeah well you know doing inspections in the area for over a decade i've only come across two actual solar systems that were installed and both of them were from a real surge in that uh in the 70s so they okay. were, you know, they were 40-year-old systems that were probably abandoned in place. So nowhere have I seen, and we're talking, you know, running the range from, you know, hole-in-the-wall homes up to multi-million-dollar mansions. I haven't seen any. And another way that propaganda gets used in the media is 
they always talk about these cities and these communities and, and these individuals who use solar panels and how they and wind wind energy and how it's paying for itself and it's it's making money and but they never talk about the subsidies that go into it to buy down the debt, if that makes sense. I mean, when you're going out there and saying, Oh, we're making money Oh, by the way, we also got, you know, $10 million kicked in is the only reason we're making money. Right. It's, it's a little bit propaganda, a little bit mis- disingenuous. That's what I'm getting at. Is it so- seemed kind of cynical. I mean, because the the same investors that would invest in the fossil fuels are just as likely to invest in, in alternate fuels because that's where they see, that's where the subsidy money goes. That's where the social pressure is leaning. So it's a calculation. I just don't understand the crash course. And, and and how they're directing the amount. I don't understand the justification more than anything because, number one, the science is not there to take um, four megawatts of coal. You can't replace it with four megawatts of wind. It doesn't match like that. There's certain physics that don't allow that. So there, there's that issue. The second one is, is that uh, wind energy has not done anything for reclamation. They don't have a reclamation program. States are now saying, we don't want your wind turbines anymore because our landfills are full and they can't be recycled. There was an outfit out of the Rocky Mountain region which was trying to recycle wind turbines, but that imploded Yeah. So in Wyoming. So we've got all kinds of issues when it comes to wind energy. And here's the irony. The Amish and the farmers of old are still more economically efficient with wind energy than we are today because they got water out of the ground. And if you can get water out of the ground, you've got life, okay? You can feed your cattle, you can feed your family, you can grow crops. So they figured out that a simple wind mill. They've been doing that for, you know, that's 100 saying, years. 150 years yeah. ago. And then the second one is, is that it produced enough energy to like, you know, a pole barn or two. Mm-hmm. So you, you could actually have a light switch turned on in a secondary or third building. That's pretty damn good for a weekend or two. Do you see that? I mean, yeah. for the well, amount of energy you're, you're putting in to build that little windmill versus what you're getting back is just not even close to what they have today. Yeah, I've always thought that with wind energy, it's got to be like it always has been. Is it's got to be much more of a local. It's got to be. It makes sense if it's if it's community based or it's small community based. Then yeah, it might make sense. But on this large scale like that, I don't think you can throw up enough of it. Just like you can never make enough ethanol to switch over to totally ethanol vehicles. You know, it's just. I've seen it. There's got to be some sort of compromises. You know, you know those little three prongers that you can put on, say, a building, mm-hmm. uh, a single. Those those work pretty good. Uh, the Fargo dump has a couple of them. Yeah, I've seen them. You know, you've seen them. Seen so, them out. Yeah. but you see, it only really works for that. Yeah. So you see how small scale it has to yeah. be. But and I think that's the future. I think that's the real future. Rather than trying to cram it down as a this I is agree. a nationwide, I think it really needs to start to be something that states and local communities look at as a way to supplement, because there's ways for them to generate money and to reduce their carbon, and they can actually have an impact. 
more on a residential yeah. as opposed to and a if mass you start to do that and commercial. you start to create these zones that are becoming more and more efficient i think that's because organically that's how our electrical system and everything produced so across the country originally instead of forcing everybody to ride the railroad and city buses you're giving everybody a car yeah essentially this is what you're saying yeah, is that i guess so yeah. if we start putting uh smaller wind mills and turbines in communities or individual homes mm-hmm. we're going to have a, a a better solution for everybody yeah the more i, I, I agree with the that. technology seems to be there to, to be able to make it more efficient as an individual yeah. or a small community and know? it's interesting just us even having this conversation shows how the climate activists are winning the battle they're definitely be- controlling the narrative we're trying to come up with a comparison yeah. or i'm sorry a compromise where they're not they're just saying get rid of it. Yeah. And we're saying, okay, well, no. Anyway, so well, I just you know, I mean, to point even that if, out. Even if you quick. look at it from the, the absolute most pessimistic point of view, I've often heard if you've got Which something sticking in you, a knife, an arrow, or something, usually the worst thing you can do initially is to pull it out. Right. 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 So. If you're dealing, if you if you de- if you want to demonize oil and gas, and you want to say it has to stop, well, you can't just turn it off, right? I mean, there's got to be a plan. So that's the problem: is everybody's just talking over each other. Well, to me, the the biggest point is is that without subsidies, wind and solar don't work. The leadership had better start holding these people accountable because if 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 you're going from all right we're just going to try to stimulate a certain sector of the economy to this is now the way of life we're going to dump money to these companies that haven't actually been proven to work over the last 20 years i got a problem with that yeah i do yeah i got a serious problem with that especially when we haven't even gotten science that has been a hundred percent totally verified yet we're still dealing with consensus science over verified science so we we, we need to get Really, this crash course needs to be slowed down, and the subsidies really need to be pulled back. And I think the actual merit, like I said, solar, I still believe solar's got a chance. And solar's biggest problem is the storage. They can't get that terawatt of storage cracked. I've heard for a decade, oh, we're going to get the terawatt of storage. And you know what? And when you get it, things will happen, but you're not there. And guess what? You're going to need a lot more rare earth minerals, and that's going to take more more fossil fuels and more, you know, digging out of the earth and this and that. So it's just solar, as good as solar is, it's still a long ways away, which I think would be interesting, is what if communities started saying, you know what? You, you can only build homes facing south and east now. You know, start start making buildings uh, change their direction yeah. with with the pay more attention to the surrounding. Use the uh, solar as passive heat yeah. and passive light. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're talking about a thirty to forty percent shift. It's kind of like when they when they take the uh, water heater and take it from the basement and put it out up on upstairs you know or up in the attic mm-hmm. or yeah gravity some, fed yeah well not only gravity fed but the temperature changes mm-hmm. and water heaters take up like 40 to 50 to 60 percent of your energy bill a lot of times yeah. heating up that water all the time and so if you can start it hot 
or start it lukewarm, boy, your energy bill goes down quite a bit. Yeah. Similar concept. Yeah, and that's what I actually see more on a smaller scale done is is like solar heating for water, you know, things like that for your, your on-demand water system or something like that. Yeah, right. So anyway, I, I think that's going to be more of the push. And I think that needs to be the conversation. And that's what we're doing here. We're having a, the uh, all of the above conversation, which is called the coexistence of energy, which is where my mind is. And if you let the free market take care of itself, which it has, the oil and gas industry specifically has been decarbonizing for 150 years. They've been doing it naturally long before the Sierra Club came along, (laughs) long before Greta Thunberg came along, long before a lot of the climate activists came along, earth fist with an exclamation point and everything else. So... I like to have a little bit more of civility and a little bit more of a calmness when it comes to these types of things because I don't really feel this is a very safe area to be political when we're talking about things that turn our lights on and off and drive our car. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it goes beyond just economic. <laughs> I mean, it's simple life. You know, it's it's. Something people never think about too is you know the the different types of medications and that's all this type saying. of stuff. That, I, there's just that's the thing is it's extreme voices talking and, and everybody else gets caught up in the static in the middle. But taking that because yeah. you're you, one of the things that you were just talking about with how the industry has been decarbonizing. This popped up today. This is uh, off of rigzone.com. Halliburton claims electric frack first. Mm. This, this is, is a great next, example. This is the next yeah, and this story. is a next and a great example of the industry basically taking on the idea of how can we make ourselves more efficient. Yeah. So, reported Thursday, Halliburton that it has deployed the industry's first successful electric grid-powered hydraulic fracturing operation. So, what this guy does apparently Compared to turbines and tier four dual fuel engines, this grid-powered electric fracturing provides a means of achieving the lowest possible emissions profile. Pretty cool. This is a great example of a bunch of smart, clever capitalists figuring out a way to be cleaner, more efficient, and more economic. I've said for probably three years now, and I've actually asked senators and congressmen on this program before, CEOs too, about stemming back to the subsidies and the the Mm -hmm. natural i'm sorry subsidies of wind and solar right i've made this argument that it is my belief that the u.s government if they're going to give x amount of dollars to the wind and solar like they have for the last 20 years they need to say okay wind and solar enough's enough we're taking 50 percent of that away and we're going to give it to the natural gas industry because we're going to see what these smart, clever natural gas capitalists can do who are capturing Bitcoin, mm-hmm. who are helping Halliburton recycle that natural gas, convert it into electricity on site. So now we can start having off the grid well sites yep. so we no longer have to have trucks on the road going back and forth do you see what i mean it's yeah absolutely I mean, the efficiency yeah at a ripple effect totally. across the entire industry so imagine if you know again i'm not trying to to go back to that subsidy one but my point is this is that if you're going to kick 10 billion dollars into a transitional energy economy which is what renewables are now mm-hmm. Start giving it to natural gas. 
Start giving. Because here's the deal. If you're an oil and gas company and you got to pay the, the highest taxes in the nation in this state and you got to pay this county tax here in Weld County, all of a sudden you got to build all these these sound structures around your, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're getting taxed and regulated up the yin-yang. The, eventually the operator says, okay, dude, we ain't got any more blood to give out of this turnip. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, can only squeeze it for so long. Well, we, we can only lose money for so long mm-hmm. before we go out of business. We are a for-profit company and we've never hid that from you. We've never come in and said, oh, we're a non-profit. No, we've been pretty upfront and said, we're a results-based company. And if the price goes to $42, we're gone. At forty three, we're back. Yeah, but forty two, we're gone. When and, I th- and, and we're not playing chicken either. I think that's the you know most Americans. You know what? If a, if a company or an individual plows their personal money into an investment and it tanks, we assume that's part of the the deal, right? Right. The government does it and has nothing to show for it. We get pissed off, rightfully so. You know, and those yeah. are the questions that we need to ask. Now, from my point of view, because as I understand it. You've got ag, you've got oil and gas. You you have subsidies that go to these groups, these organizations, these companies, uh, just as you do for alt- alternative fuels. But so sometimes I think it just comes down to an argument of you want to pick winners and losers, but I want to pick the winners and losers. And so it's right. our fight. It doesn't have much to do with the actual companies or what they're doing. It's it's you and I deciding who gets to do what, the regulations and you know the subsidies and where the money goes. I, I, and I agree with you, but I do think that my argument is a little bit different because my argument says, okay, we're taking the last 20 to 30 years of a body of work that the solar and wind mm-hmm. industry has put on themselves. Yeah. And because we've believed them that they're going to be cleaner and more efficient and more economical, we've given them billions of taxpayer dollars. Right. Now their CEOs making six, seven figures, oh, yeah. taking nice trips, driving nice vehicles, continue to get these billions of dollars in subsidies. Well, they don't hit their marks. We don't have affordable solar panels. Okay, we don't have wind energy that is that is reliable yeah. yet. Yet we were promised that for thirty years. So my point is number one, the body of work is done, and they've gotten maybe a D or an F. So to get rid of all of the money, the justify the, the it's justified. Right. It is justified. Okay, yeah. but we're not even doing that. Well, so what we're trying to do is come up with a compromise exactly. to say. Okay, as long as we're going to be doing this, and apparently you're not listening to us <laughs> by saying merit matters, you're just going to keep giving money to your good old boys? Well, what about our good old boys? Why exactly. don't you give us some of our good old boys? We yeah. got natural gas yeah. good old boys that, that are doing some clean, economic, reliable stuff, mm-hmm. but you're going to keep giving up to your wind and solar good old boys? F you, man. We It's our tax money. Do you see what I mean? Right. I think that's the difference is that... It's a little bit more than picking winners and looters, losers because you're saying, we need some accountability now. All I know is I really get a kick out of watching these giant diesel semis hauling 250-foot wind turbines down the highway. Can't make it up. It's With an entourage. With an entourage, a police escort. Uh, have you ever watched one of these things have I've to have. back onto the highway? Holy moly. No, they can't back up. Well, I mean, I mean to get on and to like transition. I I remember getting stuck down in a sock for like a half hour just trying to get on the highway because they were doing it an inch at a time. 
So yeah, the, the irony is there. <laughs> and like I said, they don't even have a reclamation program that is going to get them. I think it would be, a, we should find a use for them to reclaim as part of a, uh, an oil and gas infrastructure. See if it can be recycled. Lots of people trying. Yep. Lots now, of people trying. What Let's, if I um, hook my wind turbine up to a Bitcoin generator? That'd be interesting. Now, see? Now, that might have some some legs. Well, they're trying. I know they do hydro on a few. Yeah, I know they do. Um, that's, uh, next news story. What do we got? Okay, well, let's see. Heading into the final fun of Friday. Uh, check this out. This is a nice headline from Live Science. Massive huntsman spiders eat tree frogs after luring them into leaf traps. Oh, the huntsman spiders. Those are the big ones wow. in Australia, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, no, these are, well, these are in Madagascar. They oh. eat frogs, and scientists suspect that the spiders catch their prey by weaving traps made of leaves to lure the frogs inside with a promise of protection from the sun. Boom. Wait the a minute. The spider was minute. enjoying its meal while crouching inside a pocket crafted from two leaves that were still attached to a tree. This was an observation made last, or in 2017, Oh, yummy. The animal kingdom is evolving. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that they're, they're learning tools? Spiders around the world devour up to 880 million tons of insects each year. We better get an update on the monkey kingdom because if the spiders are evolving. Well, you know, Madagascar is always interesting because there's a lot of things that kind of evolved on that island that mm-hmm. are, you know, nowhere else. Well, Trees they're, like, they're and, like the Galapagos. They, yeah, they have a unique, a, just unique biosphere. Origin there. of species uh-huh. there, you know. It's always just, kind of terrified me, actually. Kind of, well, that in Australia. Australia, it seems like every time you, you, you look on the news, there's some gigantic, terrible creature there that wants to kill you. I had a friend live in Australia, and she moved back to Nashville. And keep in mind, Nashville, you've got, you know, snakes that are yeah. still poisonous. But she said it's so nice to have the kids be able to play in the backyard. Right. not everything's no going to kill your kids. No no crabs. Well, all no. the spiders are poisonous. Yeah. I mean, Steve Irwin did a top 10 most venomous snakes of the world, and eight of them were in his backyard. In his backyard. Yeah, he wouldn't found number three in his car. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, this brown snake, and he looks, <laughs> and it's just hanging from his engine. It's almost like Australia was dropped off, and Earth is like a preserve, you know? Well, no, it was a prison. <laughs> it's a pr- well, I know that. But think about it. So, I mean, I often wonder this, seriously. Mm-hmm. Did they, when they put the prisoners there, okay... Or are they hoping they just all die off? No, did they grab poisonous things from everywhere else and then just <laughs> drop just them off them too? <laughs> well, seriously, right. as a way to... Because you... Listen. Seems too ingenious. Whatever group of Brits got together and decided to put all the prisoners in Australia, somebody had to say at one point, okay, they're going to create a civilization and then probably get pissed and fight back. Maybe that's why they stuck them on the absolute other side of the planet. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Did they didn't <laughs> drop everything poisonous off there too? Because it's like, okay, maybe we'll put a bunch no, of... No, dude, none of that stuff exists outside of Australia or most of that stuff doesn't exist. That's, that's what the, it's, You talk about a Galapagos, that's Australia and Madagascar. I mean, even the platypus has poison. Yeah, I think so. It has poison quills. Yeah. Whatever the heck that thing is. That's like God's stone sense of humor. Let's take a duck and a beaver and squash them together. There's a great mock song, remade song, uh, by Bob Rivers. Bob Rivers. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, what if God smoked cannabis? Ha! You know, what if God smoked cannabis? Oh, yeah, that popular song from the day. 
And was it what of God? It was one of one us. One of us, yeah, Joan Osborne. And one of the lines is uh, about the platypus. <laughs> did, did, did he create it when he was stoned? <laughs> it just makes sense if you've ever looked at one. You know, <laughs> well, it makes no sense. I yeah, mean, it, even it, science hasn't totally it figured makes, it out. Makes no sense. They just they found something else out the other day about it too. I read a lot of science articles, but, and you're really um, into platypus. Uh, or platypi, I, at least part of the platypi. word. All right, what's so the what, what else do we got in this news story about the spiders evolving to where they're figuring out yeah, tools? So you know, there's a lot of people that believe that humans actually the way that humans evolve is because we use it tools. We haven't grown hair like monkeys. You know, we don't have opposable uh, thumbs on our toes yet. Like I'm working uh, on it though. Other animals, we right. have a history of their adaptation and evolution. Humans, not really. There's not a lot. Yeah. And people, some historians and anthropologists believe because we can incorporate tools into our life, therefore we haven't had to evolve out of necessity. Well, we change our environment. I mean, oil and gas is a great example of that. You know, we are reshaping the earth for our own purposes. Totally. So uh, anyways, what's this story? story? No, basically they're just talking about how these spiders are able to create these little leaf retreats on the trees that are sewn together with different sides of their silk and a base where the prey can come up, but it can't get out. So not only are these spiders coming up with this new innovation, but it's like totally chill. They just have to hang out until something climbs up from the hot sun. You guys think I'm crazy, but this is this is the animal kingdom evolving. Yep. <laughs> now they go fighting, on to say they're that they're fighting back that they're you know they're they're going to start putting some cameras to monitor the spiders to see how they build the traps and how they actually wait inside. So everything so far has just been actual observation, but yeah, clearly. Our new spider overlords are coming for us. Yep. All right, we're way over on time. Coming up next, folks, it is our newsmaker segment with State Senator John Cook. How about that? Going from venomous spiders into Colorado, State Senator John <laughs> Cook. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the first hour. Coming up next, we are going to work hard. Excuse me. My name is Jason. That is Sterling. Some falls down now, it's... Makes the dust. I carry what I need, baby. You, I can trust. I carry a note in the pocket of life and a pencil and erase by my side. Well, I feel alright. I'm doing okay. with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership 
leadership really needs to take a look at how it, we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know, when you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. All right, we have Senator, State Senator, Colorado State Senator Cook joining us here. John Cook, former sheriff of Weld County District. Oh, boy. 13. 13. Okay, thank you. Lucky 13. Lucky lucky 13. Well, my name is Jason, so for me, 13 is lucky. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, let's let's start off with a little bit about uh, a Colorado update here. We had a a very interesting 2021 from from the COVID side of things, but uh, the regulations seem to really kind of wait till the end of the year before a lot of changes came in. But there have been some changes in 2020 with uh, oil and gas regulations, haven't there? Yeah, yes, quite a few. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm going to get a little political here. Um, you know, the governor wouldn't know the, um, the truth if it hit him in the face. Because, <laughs> you know, he, he talked about, um, hey, the war on oil and gas is over. It's time to move on and, you know, promote, you know, business. And, and then he turns around and um, like two days after he says that the war on oil and gas is over, he turns around. And the um, Oil and Gas Commission, um, COGCC, uh, that he appoints, um, with no Republicans on there, mind you, all uh, Democrats or independents that lean left, and um, all far-left environmentalists, um, turn around two days later and propose a 2,000-foot setback from basically any dwelling, any house, any dwelling, um, and with but, uh, they could give some variances, and... Um, so, yeah, they, there's a lot of restrictions going on, um, not only on the setbacks, but on air quality control and wildlife restrictions. So um, it's going to be a tough year for oil and gas in Colorado. Let me jump in for just a second here, because when I was down in Colorado a few months ago, like I want to say October, maybe September, there, there was... I talked to a number of state officials, and they basically said that, well, there's kind of a truce going on, and you know, the the, the governor and the oil and gas industry and the government officials, they're they're working together till after the election's done. Then they're going to meet once again, and that's at least the impression was that there was going to be some sort of meeting collaboration to see if there can be some sort of uh, agreement moving forward. Um, what? What you just said made me think of that. Was that the case? Was there this kind of this truce? And then because to me, it seems like the governor just did exactly what he did when he got elected. Right. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, there were meetings, but there was no collaboration. It was uh, the government or COGCC telling oil and gas how it's going to be. You know, oil and gas would come in with uh, 
with um, evidence and science, well, scientific evidence, and then they would hear from environmentalists who, you know, uh, make up stuff that, you know, that's uh, pulls on people's uh, emotions. And they um, didn't listen to what oil and gas had to say. And uh, they, uh, you know, the, the commission, like I said, the, one of the commissioners said, look, if I could do a mile setback, I would do it. And, you know, so it's, the commission is really anti-oil and gas. And like I said, the governor tried to give that impression like, by saying, oh, the war is over. And we're going to work together. But then the commission, literally two days later, came out with um, uh, 2,000 foot setbacks, and which is going to be very difficult for um, uh, oil and gas to uh, abide by. It's going to be, you know, even here in Weld County. Um, and so, yeah, there was, like I said, no no collaboration. And you know, th- and then the staffers. I don't know if you heard about this. The staffers of the COGCC were testing a new um, email system or computer system, and they accidentally sent emails to the oil and gas companies, and it was supposed to be an internal email, but they called um, uh, oil and gas companies. uh, Basically, one company was identified as 666. The other one was um, identified as that Dr. Seuss character, the... uh, can't think of what it is right now. Um, Grinch? No, not the Grinch. Um, not, not, it's not Lazor. It's um, uh, Larynx or something like that. Oh, Lorax. Lorax, yeah. It was called one company, the Lorax. So uh, Snake Oil was another one? Yes, yeah, Snake Oil. And so they called all these companies, you know, um, those names. And so that just gives you um, the idea of how much uh, the COGCC is anti industry in well, this state. And that's a very important part. In fact, we had trying to believe, I'm trying to remember who it was, who we had on We had on uh, somebody from the state. And I, I asked the question because I, I think it is a real question. At what point does this become discrimination from, I mean, because this is not only rank prejudice, but now there's actually examples and a body of work that's being done here. This is not finger pointing or even political, but when you can start citing multiple examples about things that are getting to the point to where you can say that's rank prejudice, that's discrimination. When does the state step in? Is there an ethics commission? Is there any sort of, uh, you know, recourse on something like this? Or is it, hey, bend over and take it, buddy? Yeah, basically, it's uh, bend (laughs) over and take it. Um, There is an ethics commission, but it doesn't have anything to do with... um, you know, government regulations and more has to do with political violations. Um, but the only recourse really is the courts. And because some of these regulations, in my opinion, are takings and it's a violation of our state constitution to have the state, um, do a taking without, you know, compensation. And so these mineral, uh, right owners who are not now going to be able to develop their minerals, um, uh, have had the government had a taking from them and so they're going to be out money so i think that what we're going to see is a series of lawsuits against some of these regulations um based on uh like you said the discrimination but also on the takings that the government is doing to not only the oil and gas companies but the individual landowners who depend on these minerals i was talking to a um dairy farmer it was about a year or so ago when uh, 112 was up on the ballot he said, if that passes, I'm going to have to fold my uh, dairy farm. 
I, I can't make it on on just Darien. I have I depend on uh, oil and gas mineral rights and the future mineral rights that I have under the ground to to survive. So I think that's where we're going to see um, the, the the direction that the state is headed um, when it comes to these regulations. I was heard a rumor, and I thought I checked it one time that. The, the governor, uh, Jared Polis, before he was elected, he had written a book called The Colorado Blueprint. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yes. What, yeah. Do, 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 do you have a short version of just kind of the history behind that? Yeah, it wasn't just him. There was um, there were four of them. And basically it's the you know Democrat big donors, and they came up with uh, what they called the blueprint on how to take Colorado back, and they poured millions and millions of dollars into uh, getting Democrats elected and um, and and redistricting, so um, they got control of one of the chambers. They redistrict. Well, um, the Republicans had one chamber, the Democrats had the other, and the Democrats knew that um, if they didn't cooperate and if they stuck to their guns on the redistricting, it would go to uh, a Denver district court who was appointed by uh, Democrat governors and a Democrat judge. And that they would win. And so that the judge sided with the Democrats for the last two times we redistricted. But that was part of their plan, was to put uh, Democrats in, in the chambers. And it worked, because now we have uh, Democrat Senate and the Democrat House and a Democrat governor. And we have very little power to stop them. So that was part of the blueprint, was to pour money into Democrat candidates, get them elected, and then take over the state, pretty much uh, what they've done. You look at states like North Dakota, New Mexico came out with some recent numbers. Uh, North Dakota, anywhere from 50 to 60 percent of the general budget's tied to the uh, two oil and gas taxes. And then in New Mexico, like I said, a bunch of the yes. taxes dollars came out at how much reliant they are as well. I'm not sure about Colorado. I know Wyoming is pretty pretty heavy in energy, but they've got a lot of coal and, and uh, natural gas and and to go with their oil and gas or go with their oil expiration. But where, where's the disconnect? Because it seems that there's a lot of public officials who do not understand where the taxes come from. Does that Correct. make sense? Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry, that, that was a long pause there. I didn't sure if I'd <laughs> asked the right question. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. And, but, the, no, it doesn't make sense uh, because um, so much tax revenue is generated by oil and gas in this state. $200 million to uh, K-12 um, comes from oil and gas and uh, uh, and the severance taxes and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the general budget, not just not just tax money. Um, but, you know, when you have one hundred forty four thousand employees in the state that work for oil and gas, you know, they're paying income tax, they're doing sales tax, they're, um, you know, going to restaurants. Um, so the state's getting money from there. Um, 44% of downtown Denver, uh, the office space, is oil and gas related. And so they're getting money from the oil and gas industry through their leases of the buildings, through the employees down there who visit the restaurants. And so it's hundreds of millions of dollars um, that goes into the uh, state budget every year from oil and gas, but you're right. The there's legislators who either don't know or just don't care because they have a, another agenda. Their agenda is, you know, um, placating the Sierra Club and the far left ra uh, radical environmentalists. 
So they just don't care. And they just think, well, you know what? If we don't have oil and gas, we'll just develop wind and solar, and that will you know, cure all of our problems. What I don't get is, you know, that, that mentality, and it is a mentality, and listen, it's, here at The Crude Life, we say it's almost easier to talk to a brick wall than it is to, <laughs> to someone. Well, it's true, though. It's, yeah, listen, right. I, I've got a 14-year-old, and, I, and I, was, I raised him. So I, I was a father, and I know what it's like to talk to children. And, right. and, and it's very similar right now. It's very similar. And I'm going to transition to the North Face um, I'm, not, I'm sure you followed that a little bit as far as the, the uh, rejecting uh, business from oil gas companies on, on the grounds that they do not do business with uh, companies that do tobacco, pornography, and oil and gas. And that was the first time I've seen now publicly that oil and gas has got lumped in with tobacco, and I've never seen pornography before. That was a new one, but okay. Um, and by the way, your car does not run on Joe Camels and your house is not powered by Marlboros. So there's a big difference between tobacco and, and oil and gas. Yeah, there's a smokestack, but go take a look and it's totally different smoke. A lot of that white stuff is steam, by the way, people. It's, Absolutely. It's steam. Okay. Um, so uh, but my question is, is that the North Face and uh, is it VF Corporation, I believe, is the parent company. They're out of Denver. And they have that same kind of bull mentality, blue bull mentality, the blue boulder rolling down the hill, you know. And, right. um, you know, they just purchased some land outside of, the, uh, uh, outside of Denver for their private jets to come in. But they've got a whole line of FR clothing. So you've got fire-resistant clothing that not only is made out of the oil and gas products, but it, your number one client is the oil and gas industry. So from a shareholder corporate governance standpoint, from a just a sheer who rejects business during a pandemic when everybody's begging for business, it just seems like there is a bigger agenda here that's really well-funded at the corporate governor type of level. Now, those are just two examples that I brought in, but I, I, it just seems different, you know? It just seems like there is like a boulder rolling down the hill. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and 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 that's part of the problem is that um, you know Denver Boulder controls the state and and the legislature and at the governor's mansion, and they have this anti-business attitude, and again they have an anti-oil and gas uh, attitude and feeling, and and they don't want to do business. They you know they want to divest you know from any um, retirement fund that uh, has oil and gas uh, in, in their portfolio. Um, so, they, yeah, they have a very much anti-oil and gas, anti-business attitude, not just towards oil and gas. You mentioned cigarettes or tobacco. Um, I don't smoke, but you know what? I don't care if people do. That's their choice. But they, they want to control people, and they do it through this type of legislation or this type of business practices. What should Weld County do? Maybe over on the Grand Junction side, where they've got a little bit more natural gas. Um, I suppose down in the southern part. I don't know how much is going down in Trinidad or down in the Pueblo area, but you've got there's oil and gas all the way across the state. Now that I'm thinking out loud here, uh, if if there's somebody who's maybe friends work in the oil and gas industry or maybe they work in the oil and gas industry and they want to get active finally or they want to have their voice heard outside of just posting on a social media post? What should 
what, 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 what do you recommend to people? I mean, do they email you or your staff or the governor, the commission, or what? Yeah, you know, what I've been telling people for the oil and gas industry for the last several years, um, it, two years ago there was a, a ballot initiative, 112, that had like 2,500-foot setbacks and, and you know, from anything just about, you know, any irrigation ditch, any building. And there was a concerted effort, and I went um, to defeat that. And for the first time, I saw, you know, oil and gas really getting into the grassroots. And I went to just about every oil and gas business in my district, and there are a lot, and even some outside. I said, look, you need to come down and testify. Not the, not the, you know, the head of, of COGA or the head of API, um, but you need to have um, people the line worker come down and testify in in the Senate and House committee meetings and say, hey, how much oil and gas um, affects their lives in a positive way? Because you get the anti-oil and gas people and they come down and talk, oh, oil and gas is killing my children or my child and, and it's destroying our neighborhood and it's polluting. No, we need the line workers to come and say, look, um, I work in the oil and gas industry and it's putting my kids through college or it's uh, paying our health care bills. Um, you know, my neighbors, um, you know, uh, kids play with my kids. And if we, if we, uh, shut down oil and gas, I have to move. Um, and the same thing, I went to him and said, look, you need to start talking to your neighbors over this ballot initiative, go to them and say, you, do you like us being your neighbors? Do you like your kids playing with my kids and vote no on this initiative and, um, you know, uh, and, and start telling what, how oil and gas affects you in a positive way. And, um, and I think it worked because it passed I mean, the, the initiative failed overwhelmingly in the state. There was only like eight counties that uh, supported it and it was like Boulder and a couple of the mountain communities. Um, so it, um, it, I think it worked. Um, and that's what we need to have. They need to be active politically and I'm not talking just like I said, the CEOs, I'm talking the line workers, the, um, uh, you know, the middle management, the upper management, everybody needs to um, uh, get involved. In- how, about, how about from the state side? Are we at the um, the non-elected accountability yet pressure where the people who maybe are appointed and, you know, somebody works for the education department or people, you know, saying, hey, how come you're not sticking up for the oil and gas industry because they're funding about 90% of your industry? Things like that. You know what I mean? Just kind of the little bit more... Uh, I don't know, backhanded ways to get some pressure put in some different areas that because if, if, if they're elected, they're elected. That's that's right. that's the way it is. But, you know, if you're appointed or, you know, you you applied for a job, you're not supposed to be political at all. You're supposed to really represent the people, you know, type of a thing. So there's there's, right. there's ways to apply pressure there. That's all I'm wondering if yeah. we're getting to that I point yet. No, <laughs> okay. no, no, not at all, because um, you got to realize the people that are appointed are appointed by a Democrat governor. And even if um, we um, confirm them, doesn't matter. We can, because we're in the minority. So they yeah. can be anti um, oil and gas on the COGCC and they still get appointed because the Republicans are in the minority right now. And uh, so that's not really going to work. And, you know, people are so, um, no, so separated from the bureaucrats, they have no idea what's happening, what they're doing to them for the most part. And um, well, so- what worries me in today's day and age is that um, 
you know, the, the example we were just talking about, about some of that, you know, just applied pressure in that. Um, blowback is real now. Um, the blowback that can come, it, it's well-funded. <laughs> it's, it's got right. some force behind it. So, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I think it's more important that, you know, people that are in the oil and gas, like I said, work through their political means. Here in, in Greeley, there was a Democrat in House District 50, and uh, Rochelle Galindo, and she got recalled because she voted for uh, Senate Bill 181. She was in the House, but when it made it over there, she voted for it, which was the anti-oil and gas um, bill that eventually passed. But here's a representative from Greeley that is highly dependent on Weld County is highly dependent on oil and gas that voted for uh, an anti-oil and gas bill, and she got recalled in um, because of it. So there is political pressure that can be put on, and it, I think it comes through the ballot box. Well, I mean, there's certainly some classy ways of doing it, and it's always best to take the high road when you can, but. Just a few, you know, through our conversation, I've heard of a few ways that the high road was not taken in order to really do some damage to the oil and gas industry. And um, I, I'm not one to, you know, I'm not an eye for an eye guy, but also I don't like getting picked on too long either. I, <laughs> so I, I do eventually fight back. <laughs> so yeah. Well, good. Yeah, I, I wish, um, you know, for a lot of times, unfortunately, oil and gas uh, has placated these people well that yeah i mean really at the end of the day oil and gas is you know the big bad wolf no matter what they do because they you know 96 percent of our life is dependent on it you know and so they're in a lose-lose position a lot of times you know they really are and well um, and and, and i I understand but yeah sometimes you you just have to stand up and fight with everything you got instead like you said the oil and gas industry i mean that some of them, the industry uh, companies gave more money to Democrats than they did to the Republicans for the election, mm-hmm. and it's like, and then those very Democrats that received that money, as soon as they got in, turned around and um, attacked oil and gas, and they try oil and gas tries to placate them and go along with them, and and, and at some point you just got to you know say hey enough is enough. You know, we're either shutting down our operations or, you know, we're going to fight back with everything we got. We're going to take you to court every every chance we get and um, we're going to fight and we're going to we've had enough. But, you know, draw that line in the sand and they haven't done it yet. Well, any final thoughts here? Appreciate the time and the access as we talk with Senator John Cook from District 13. Greeley, Colorado is kind of is that is that the big, big kind of hub there for, for your district? Yeah, uh, Greeley um, is about 110,000 population right now, and, and so most of my district is in Greeley, although it runs all the way down to the county line, uh, about uh, 40 miles to the south. Um, so, yeah, as a matter of fact, Greeley just overtook Boulder in population this year. Oh, you're kidding me. No, no. Uh, Boulder's losing population, and Greeley's getting it, is picking it up. Boulder's losing population, but yet their ozone emission, it continues to rise? Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, go figure. I mean, that's go a figure. true statement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, 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 I saw that they were number one in the state for, for uh, pollution. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's, that's interesting. So, are you not Fort Collins, are you? No, no, that's, no. Okay. That's in uh, Larimer County. Okay, my, that's... My, my district is solely in Weld. There's three senators that represent Weld, and mine is exclusively in Weld County. I just know they're pretty close, and um, yes, you know, and, unfortunately, and geographically, but they're certainly very different ideologically. That's, that's oh, absolutely very. You know, Fort Collins. Fort Collins is trying to out Boulder Boulder. 
when it comes to uh, going left. And uh, so, yes, very different ideology. Well, that's what I thought. For you know, I used to stay in Fort Collins quite a bit, and and I, I would bring this example up a lot five six years ago. That when I would stay in the breakfast bar, I enjoy talking to strangers in breakfast bars of hotels, especially when I'm out of town. And you know, a lot of times you can you know, get some great conversations going because a lot of people are in the same boat you're in. And what I noticed was people started looking over their shoulders before they mentioned that they were in oil and gas five, six years ago. And that was interesting to me because that wasn't happening really anywhere else. And so I was like, oh, this is a, you know, made a mental note of it and everything. And then now we're at where we're at today and everything along those lines. And uh, how long is the governor there for another, is he there for another two years? Uh, yeah, let's see. He, no, well, he's only in his second year, so he's got two years and another election, a few more. Right, when, right. So he's six years, yeah. Okay, so, it, yeah, well, assume two. Um, let's I, hope. Well, I, I would think so. I mean, this is, um, I, I would assume anybody that polarizing it. wouldn't do well, but that's just, who knows, who knows. But, well, when you can spend $30 million of your own money uh, to become governor, uh, it's not hard to win an election. Oh, and he's he's uh, self-funded like that. Yeah, yeah. He um, he spent thirty million dollars, and he was so funny about it. Uh, not funny, it was sad. Several years ago, he wrote and funded um, political reform um, here in uh, campaign uh, reform, and he pretty much wrote it. And if you self-fund, there's no limits on how much you can spend. Right. If you don't self-fund. Yeah, there's a limit on how much you can receive. Uh, like I think it's like for governor, it might be twelve hundred bucks. I can't remember exactly. So if our candidate um, had a good quarter, like say raised two hundred thousand in one quarter, he'd write himself a check for two million. Wow! And so yeah, so he spent about thirty million of his own to get elected governor, and our candidate was only able to raise about three million. Hmm. In a state that's known historically for being blue, is that right? Well. Not historically. As I mean, fact, somewhere in the 90s it changed, right? Or whatever it yeah. was? So, yeah, it, 90s, yeah. It, Early 2000s, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did have the Senate for four years uh, when I first got elected in 15. Um, and then we lost the Senate two years ago, and we only lost one seat this year. We Democrats thought we'd lose uh, three to five, but we only lost one. So we're yeah. holding our own. Well, one last question, and just because you're you're in Colorado, you might – you, 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 I would imagine at least the conversations would be happening in the cafes and things like that. But has anybody from the environmental wing, whether it's the Office of the Environment or the Bureau of Land Management or whoever, discussed what the plan is for some of these parks and some of these environmental uh, projects that they have going if they try to get rid of oil and gas? Because my understanding is that the oil and gas industry funds a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely they do. Um, no, they have not. They, like I said, I just, they either don't know or don't care. And so, no, they, uh, they don't have stakeholder meetings. Um, now the government bureaucracies have it like the COGCC or the air quality control. They have to have public meetings, but you know, these, um, environmental groups, no, they don't, they don't sit down and, and talk with oil and gas and, and, or state legislators to find out, you know, what would happen if oil and gas, uh, you know, picks up and leaves or if they get regulated out of business here which is unfortunate. Well, appreciate you, you keep keeping up the good fight, you know, former sheriff, so you know you know how to 
how to follow the law and and and, and make the law. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> I'd rather enforce it, to be honest with you, at this point. <laughs> well, and that's what's got to be frustrating, honestly, from your perspective, is that you know you are a lawman at the end of the day. And, right. you know, so now you're in the part where you're helping formulate and shape and ma- manipulate and maneuver and that sort of thing when, you know, all the above when it comes to the law. But, you know, you're, like you said, you are a lawman. So it's got to be frustrating at times for you to see this stuff. Very much so, especially um, not only on the oil and gas side, but also um, on the law enforcement side, because I'm the only one down there that has a law enforcement background. And it's funny how... You know, everybody down there at the legislature thinks they know how to, you know, uh, run law enforcement better than the professionals. So that's really frustrating when you see these anti-law enforcement uh, bills that get introduced down there at, uh, at the Capitol. Yeah, don't get me started on those. Just, uh, yeah. yeah it's, um, anyway, but, well, I appreciate the time today. We'll, we'll talk down the line, okay, sir? All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where you build a bridge Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mike Marcel with Orange Property Management about some candid COVID conversations out in the oil patch. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Mike Marcel right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. That when I talked to Commerce yesterday, they literally were getting seeking input because they're they're saying, hey, we got to get four or five different things out here. My recommendation to them was, a, it should be broad based and 
everybody should be able to participate. I, I think it gets really discouraging when you've got, you're picking winners and losers. And you're saying that industry is, is vital. This industry is not. I have like, I have a healthcare worker. She works at the VA and she's an amazing woman. One of my best friends. And she got no help. You know, here's this woman working 80 hours a week and put her health at risk. And there's no nothing on the individual level. Part of that is we, we can't do things constitutionally in North Dakota uh, individually. We have to do it through entities. But that might be a conversation. I'm going to say something that every, you know, every legislator will come and shoot me for. But there might need to be an initiated measure at some point allowing the legislature to directly pay people in the state. And I'm not talking about from the legacy. Fund. I'm talking things like utility rebates or, or things that would be programming like this where it's designed to get to the individual person. We saw that with West Fargo today trying to give, you know, $25 gift cards, do something, you know? And so I, I constitutionally, uh, North Dakota is barred from giving any kind of direct payment to a person, but they can give my company money. And I think that that is a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if that's super fair. And, uh, Something in the North Dakota Constitution says the North Dakota government cannot make a direct payment to no, an individual. And right just to give that. you an idea of the Alaska Trust Fund, just because I have done a lot of this research, that's a $64 billion fund that was established in 70, 79. Yeah. Okay, we have $8 billion. Okay, we're nowhere near $64 billion, And they have about the same population, and there's 1600 bucks. To listen to the full-length interview with Mike Marcio with Orange Property Management or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our daily morning show and our ever-growing army of social media enthusiasts, energy enthusiasts. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media page. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies. Asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.